Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam Balderstone, and we're going to talk about some gaming topics today. In particular, we'll be talking about long-term campaigns and short-term campaigns, as well as GM expectations. And we, if we have time, we're going to get into uh, unified mechanics. Um, but before we do, I figured uh, you and me have a, a you know topic to discuss, still related to Doctor Who, because I watched uh, Broadchurch for the first time this uh, this week. And I watched it very quickly. I kind of binge-watched over two or three days. Um, <laughs> and it was mainly in anticipation of, uh, of the new Doctor and sort of trying to get a sense of... Uh, a better sense of Chibnall's style and a better sense of the, of the new Doctor's acting. Um, and I just found... I was, like, sucked right into the show. It was, it was a really good, uh, really good series. Um, yeah, I was thinking it is a, it is a really good one to binge watch. I, I I didn't watch it till it was on Netflix, and yeah, you can just fly right through that. It just pulls you in. Yeah, it was it was um yeah it was it was it was a really I don't know um I I kind of I went to it mainly to find out about Doctor Who, and I found out number one the show didn't answer any of the questions I had about <laughs> or her, and yeah num- number two. I, I was way more interested in the show once I started watching it than worrying about all that stuff. So I think, but that's probably a good sign because I think if I had, if I had noticed, uh, if I had noticed anything in particular, I don't know, maybe, maybe it would, it would be a bad sign. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause it, yeah. you, you don't, you tend not to notice the, the role she plays in that show. It's not the kind of role that's in any way like the doctor. It's just, it's just, it's, it's a very specific sort of grieving mother type role. And mm-hmm. the only thing that you're really going to ever notice, I think, in those circumstances as a viewer is if the person does a bad job. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like, I'm, I never say, oh, what a great grieving father or grieving mother uh, character they played in that movie. You know, it, just, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't well, it doesn't jump out like that, you know? Yeah. If, if all you do is get sucked in and you're like, I'm really interested in this story and watching it, then you know the acting is probably good. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, but... Uh... Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, it, another another reason it's good that you, you know, you didn't get any takeaway is from the standpoint that I, you know, when I see someone as the doctor, I like it to be lesser known people, which, which she qualifies as because it. I want to be surprised when I see a new doctor. I want it to be yeah. this new character. I want it to be something fresh and exciting. You know, it's like when people make their dream castings, it's it's. You know, they want they want they they always pick somebody who's done a role that's similar and they want that person to act like that in Doctor Who. And it's like, well, that that would be I don't know. It just wouldn't be exciting for that to happen, no matter who it is. Well, it can also. But yeah. We, oh, go ahead. I'll say but I was, I was going to finish with, uh, you know, I mean, when, when she does Doctor Who next year, we're going to have no idea what she's going to be like. And that's going to be exciting. Well, and also, I think, it, it, you know, who. Uh, like like with Capaldi, you know, everybody, you know, sort of had um, an impression of, of, of him before mm-hmm. uh, he got started. And I think in some ways, you know, I think the bet, the advantage it gives the actor is it gives them immediate gravitas. But the disadvantage yes. is what you're saying is it kind of gives this expectation that people have. And one, you might either not meet that expectation or you just might not be going in that direction. But number two, it can color people's interpretation of what you're doing. So they see that even when it's not there. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, well, you had you had all the Malcolm Tucker jokes with Doctor Who with Capaldi. It's yeah. like, oh, he's going to be cussing all the time. Yeah. It's going to be hilarious. It was this whole big meme. And I mean, the thing, the thing that was good about Capaldi is that, you know, Capaldi's Doctor is just, it's a completely different character than Malcolm yeah. Tucker. I mean, it, he, you know, it's like I, I had this picture in my head of what it'd be like as the Doctor and he did something different. And that was, that was, that was great. So that, that's what I want. And uh, and yeah, so and also there's a lot of uh, familiar actors and actresses in the in the show. Um, I think I saw a lot of Game of Thrones actors. I could be wrong. I I know I at least saw one of the Unsullied in the first season. Um, yeah, yeah, and, that's uh, correct. And um, and there's a lot of people from Doctor Who. So or, yeah. or especially now because they got that guy playing the the first Doctor. So um, so one of the characters in the first season is the first Doctor. Um, you know the new the new guy playing the first doctor not the original first doctor and uh and um and obviously david tennant um and rory rory's uh, there yeah (laughs) yeah i'm I'm pretty sure there were some other people too that were doctor who connected but um uh yeah when you get when you get british mystery shows you're always kind of this revolving door of people you've seen in other things it seems I guess it's that's a small true. world, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that was my, uh, you know, that was my sort of big thing this week. I spent two days basically just watching Broadchurch, um, and not doing other things that I should have been doing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I don't know, uh, long-term and short-term campaigns. I saw a few threads on this. I looked at, you know, I, I saw some people talking about it and I'm, it's something that I've, I've thought about a lot over the past year because, um, I've always been particularly interested in, in, in getting my games to last longer and my campaigns to last longer and, and mm-hmm. trying to do what works toward that goal. But I think that there's a big difference between a short campaign and a long campaign. I don't think they're definite. I don't think that they're like mutually hostile to each other. I think the same GM no. can run one and then run the other for different reasons. Um, so I don't know. I thought, I thought it might be a good topic to to just kind of explore. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think you need to be upfront going into a game with the players. You kind of need everyone on the same page on what's going on. Because if you're doing a short focused campaign, usually usually you've kind of got like you know some goal that's going to be related to it or something, and you want to make sure the players are on board. It's like, hey, this is going to be, you know, I mean, not not like in a railroad sense, but just in the sense that you know, you're, you're kind of aiming towards a certain objective there and the players should be on board with that objective when they make their characters and they should be prepared for the fact that, Hey, you're not going to get to 20th level in this campaign. You're yeah. just gonna, <laughs> we're going to play and we're going to be done, you know, cause it's, it is kind of abrupt when you start a campaign with someone and after six sessions, they're like, okay, we're done. And you're like, what? I, that's it. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I so I, I think expectation setting is very important. But uh, yeah, whereas with uh, you could be a lot more open in what's going to happen with it when you've got a long term campaign. I think. Well, and I think long term campaigns you kind you need you almost need systems for long term campaigns that really favor um, things like levels, not necessarily a leveled gaming system, but a system where you have that progression of the mm-hmm. character over time. Um, that kind of keeps the player wanting to come every week. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And, sure. Uh, whereas with a with with 
either shorter campaigns or like, I don't know what you would call the more serialized episodic campaigns. So say you still might be playing over a long period of time, but maybe you're doing contained scenarios and then skipping a lot of time. And it's more mm-hmm. like jumping from one novel to the next in a, in a series of novels about a, a particular detective or something like that. Yeah. Or um, call of Cthulhu can be like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think in games like that, then I don't feel the need for that as much. I feel like more characters that are a little more static, they're kind of they're kind of baked when you make them rather than they're building towards something because yeah. it's not really important for them to um uh to get to a to a to to a to a to a higher level and you don't uh you, you, they're they I don't know maybe a little bit more disposable sometimes you know it's not such a bad thing if uh if the character dies and is replaced by another another sidekick um yeah yeah that I uh yeah, and I think I, you know, I'm talking about the focus thing again. I think I think a, a reason you, I think players are okay with like more focus on the short term they are in the long term. Like if you set up, you know, just sticking the D and D terminology, if you set up a 20th level campaign and the players are going towards a goal, this is the end. You know, at the end of that long road to 20th level. I think players start to feel trapped after a while. Mm-hmm. But if you if you set up a particular goal, like, hey, you're trying to do this thing, and they're going to be done with it in you know three or four sessions, they're totally on board. They you know, boom, yeah. we're going towards this one thing. But it's people get tired. You know, if, if it's too long to get to a goal, people get fatigued, and and it, well, and the GM can get tired of it too. You kind yeah. of want to change gears after a while. And so I think I think long term long term campaigns shouldn't be focused on one goal. There should be multiple goals. Things should shift. Things should be moving around. And, yeah, I would uh, agree with that. I think they also change. They change a lot over time. Like they, you, mm-hmm. you know, the the thing that's keeping a party together today might not be the thing keeping them together in eight months. Um, and yeah, and so you kind of have to sort of figure that out every you know that's i think that's one of the jobs of the gm is to figure out really what the party is trying to do um so that you know whatever prep you're doing is uh is 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 helping to sustain that um and with with long-term campaigns you kind of have to be uh i mean i guess i don't know i guess you could have sort of like a bunch of adventure paths or stuff but i've I've never had an easy time sustaining long-term campaigns with that type of approach i found that Mm -hmm. uh the, the ways that either work for me are sort of doing something where you kind of just give the players sort of the ability to to pick and choose you know like what their what their goals yeah. are going to be at any time or where it's episodic where like okay monster of the week type uh, campaigns um, which I think can work fine too I, I've definitely done monster of the week type campaigns um, where yeah you know, there's yeah. players just wandering around and as they go from place to place different adventures uh unfold and um yeah well like i said you know the call of cthulhu model it's like it you know in a D campaign you can kind of go from one thing to another thing to another thing because you're in this fantastic world of adventure everywhere and so yeah. you never need to take time off but it's like a call of cthulhu it's like some horrific thing happens you deal with it then everyone goes back to being an accountant or a doctor or a lawyer for for like a year and then like a year later the players get together because look something's happening again and we've got to look into it so you yeah. you have that different rhythm to it you know but uh but yeah it's 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 a it's a tricky balancing act between the two though because uh 
Because obviously you can use the short term structures within a long term campaign, you know, in having, you know, like a variety of different short adventure paths within a longer term one, as long as the players kind of get to choose which, which you know, adventure path they're taking. But I mean, because obviously, I mean, because I, that, you know, I, a lot of people feel like sandbox and, and a kind of the path model are completely opposed. And I, I don't entirely agree with that because I think you can build a sandbox and have these kind of miniature paths within it. The players have the option of following or walking away from as they choose, you know, this like point A leads to point B leads to point C kind of things. But unlike in a short campaign, they can just, they can walk off the path at any time or walk back or whatever. I don't think that can work. I, I, I think that can definitely work if you have like the, um, I think I think for me where where I have trouble is when I if if I'm if I'm run if if every adventure is sort of a, a quest, then mm-hmm. that's when um uh my campaign just for me that's when my campaigns tend to break down. Uh, I'm yeah, not I'm not yeah. the best quest GM I find. Um, where, where the players are waiting for you to assign them quests, you mean? Or no 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 like where like uh go from point a to point b to 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 to, to retrieve or destroy object yeah x you know that kind of a thing um, yeah the, i'm just I, i'm it's not my strong suit as a gm um uh i'm much better at local adventures than than those kinds of adventures i find um, yeah it's a, it's it's a tricky thing i mean because like i said i you know, when, when you're when you're kind of forced on a path where you're going point A to point B to point C, then it, it just feels like you're running errands, you know, go get this thing and bring it back or whatever. And it, it gets boring, which is what but I, I think they can work in the context of a sandbox just because it's an option the players can do. Hey, if you want to, you can get take this job where you do this thing going back and forth as opposed because yeah. I mean, that, that brings up another thing I don't like. I've really, really come out. And my own personal GMing style is deciding I don't like threats to the world. It's like anytime there's like there's a great evil that's going to destroy the world. You've told the players, okay, nothing else but dealing with this matters. Whatever, whatever crazy ideas you had for your own own strategies, ignore them because you've got to go deal with this thing or I'm going to blow the whole world up on you. And you've kind of taken the whole game hostage with that. Well, Uh, it becomes Lord of the Rings when you do that. It it forces the game into that zone. That's sort of the zone I'm talking about. I don't mind having gradient level threats, like having every once in a while. I do like to have an invasion where the the sure. the, the empire changes or a border shifts or yeah, that's uh, great. Or there's a plague, or, you know, or, or or some prophecy is coming true. But I think I think the end of the world scenarios are they're hard not only for the reason that you say, but because whenever I've run into the world scenarios, there's the possibility that the world is going to end. Do you know what I mean? Like if I players know. don't if players I know. don't succeed. Then, then you know, you know, and and world ending might not literally mean the end of the world. I had one campaign where world ending meant dragons suddenly existed in large numbers again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, but even that, that was very. Once I did that, it's sort of like you run into this problem where you've smashed your world to pieces a little bit, and yeah, and it gets harder and harder to kind of keep things going the more and more you do. Because then the because then where are you going to go from dragons? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> you can do it, but if like if I if I were to so like if I were to do that, you know, my my approach would now be okay. I unleash the dragons. Now we're going to start focusing on smaller, more mundane things for a long time. 
so that yeah. they don't feel like it's always you know unleashing dragons into the world or you know whatever the big big threat is and the thing is it's such a fantasy trope it's very hard for gms to resist i think um, oh sure it's such a temptation see to... my, my my background as a gm really was running ravenloft and horror so i would run like call uh-huh. of cthulhu or ravenloft and those don't lend themselves well to fantasy type campaigns especially if you're like me and you were using the black box set not the um domains of dread book um yeah it did start to bring in a lot more of the fantasy stuff um yeah, i was always a bigger course. fan of the the real like running the game like hammer studios uh scenarios and so i think i think with that when i when i did decide i was gonna run my fantasy campaign it, I just, you know, the first thing I did was a world-ending scenario, do you know what I mean? Because it was just like, like <laughs> and, and it took me a while to realize that that was not always the best choice. Um, I, you know, it's yeah. like, it's, you know, you, uh, every fantasy campaign I, I would run for some reason would be, it would be like Lord of the Rings or Willow. It was like one of the two. It was that sort of, <laughs> that sort of adventure. Um, yeah, and that, that doesn't doesn't work well you know, my, my horror background is you know started with call of cthulhu and call of cthulhu does lend itself to oh there's this cult and they're going to end the world unless you stop them mm-hmm. and i mean but the thing is once i once i actually started reading lovecraft lovecraft almost never uses that in his stories i mean you know there's the dunwich horror kind of has that threat but it's like it's it's very rare in lovecraft stories usually there's these dark forces the world of it usually if he brings up the end of the world it's like oh mankind's going to be extinct in a thousand years or something it's like just it's just the horror that mankind is this temporary thing that's going to disappear from the earth not that you know not that cthulhu's going to wake up tomorrow and kill everybody it's just it's it's different so you know you're you're it's you can actually get a better lovecraftian feel staying away from that trope well, and also uh, with Lovecraft, you can really you can hit the reset button a little easier than you can in your own set. Like if I'm running yeah. a campaign, I feel like whatever happens has to kind of stick if it's a fantasy yeah. setting. But for some reason, if I'm running like modern or early, or like you know uh, uh, early modern horror, even like or anything set in the real world, basically, it's mm-hmm. more like a movie where I feel like I'm jumping from one franchise to the next. So I don't like I can. I, because when when I would run Call of Cthulhu, I I don't think very rarely would we do the thing where we would run like a one year long Call of Cthulhu campaign. Almost always would be, hey guys, I'm going to run Call of Cthulhu, and I would uh-huh. really be planning on about six sessions, maybe ten at most. Might even only be planning on one or two sessions. Um, basically, yeah. I would have like a mystery in mind that I'd want to do, or I'd have like a uh, you know some you know maybe like I read like uh, 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 some Lovecraft over the weekend, and I got a. I got an idea <laughs> for something based in Marblehead or something. And so, yeah. uh, so it was always very sort of specific, but, but that, whatever I was running that weekend wouldn't necessarily connect to what I ran the next time. And, and so, yeah, I, oh, I agree. It's not like you, it's not like because the world gets ruined, gets destroyed in your call of Cthulhu game. You're going, okay, we can't do adventures in the real world anymore because the real world doesn't exist. Yeah. Whereas if it's your own personal campaign setting, if you, if you go back on that, you've kind of, you know, it, it needs the reality of making the events that happen in the game real because it only exists in the game and you're, you're, 
you know, you're, you're, you're weakening that world, which, which brings up another point for the game master to go, Hey, I'm holding this, you know, I'm holding my campaign setting hostage. And if you don't save it, I'm going to shoot it in the head. It's like, <laughs> nobody loves that campaign setting more than you. So it's like, it's a greater threat to yourself than it is to the players. That well, the unless the DM have. is just so sick of the campaign setting. <laughs> That's he, right. he desperately wants to get rid of it. I know I've done yeah. stuff like that before where I, I got tired yeah. of the campaign world and just, basically destroyed it in the game um but... yeah yeah it's uh that's that's that, that's a good point i mean uh it, it if you basically i guess what it comes down to don't threaten to destroy your world unless you're really really willing to pull the trigger because because that's the other thing that happens is where the gm sets up a threat to the world that they have no intention of ever letting the world end. No matter what you do, it's all going to work out one way or another. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, oh, you, you didn't recover the artifact there. That's okay. There's another way. And, you know. No, so, I mean, that, and, and honestly, I, I, I think, um, again, that, you know, allowing for things to be destroyed can work. That mm-hmm. You just have to sort of, you have to be willing to think about where can this go and where can it go in a way that won't end the campaign, I suppose. So... If um if it, and it really depends on what the end of the world scenario is. If the end yeah. of the world scenario is like undead armies overtake things, that actually could become an interesting campaign. Yeah, you yeah. Know, um, when the players are like, you know, the you know some of the few humans trying to resist the undead hordes, uh, you know, but it becomes a very different campaign setting at that point. So. Um, yeah and like you're you talking about things shaking things up you know like burning down a city or something is great you know it's like and then you know a while down the road you can have the players exploring the ruins of the city that used to be their home base at some point mm-hmm. and it's like everything's got this great new feel to it and it's drawn on what's come before so well, well one you, of the things i've been doing is um because I, I run a setting that's that's based on uh, Song Dynasty China, but I, I watch a lot of wuxia and martial arts movies, and mm-hmm. and and sometimes you'll be thinking, well, I'd really like to do something that's sort of like this film, but for that to be the case, I really need like my um, my Mongolian invasion to occur, and for uh-huh. you know what I mean, like I need certain historical steps to have occurred within the setting for that to be possible. So now what I do is, instead of having end of the world scenarios, I have these historical developments that are really significant and can become the focus, but they don't have to be. The players can, can just let the world sort itself out, go on their own adventures and the world will keep Mm -hmm. on changing. The, the benefit to being involved is they might be able to affect some of the outcomes a little bit. Um, but the, the world doesn't end. The world just changes. And so I think that's a better threat than the world ending scenarios, the threat of the world changing in some way. Um, and that way, if the players engage it, fine. If they don't, well, the world has just changed a little bit, and you've you've entered a new historical era or something. Um, yeah, yeah, but, uh, that's completely the right approach. Because yeah, and a lot of people malign meta plot, but it's like it's only meta plot if you're forcing the players to react to it or something. Having a huge historical development is just interesting. That's just the world being alive. Well, no, <laughs> so, no, that's an interesting. Yeah, because meta plot is and 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 the the allergy to meta plot makes a lot of sense because I do remember. Oh yeah, I do remember when meta plot was. <laughs> it was this big thing. Um, I I didn't, and it's funny because at the time we didn't. Nobody I knew called it meta plot. I didn't find no. it until years later. Somebody was using that word, and I was like, "What do you mean by that word?" And then I understood what they meant when they explained it. Um, but yeah, that 
if you if you it, again it's a baby baby in the bathwater thing if you if you if completely remove meta plot to the point that you don't even have historical developments then i think the setting can get really static and 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 lose something uh, I, I think it's really more yeah. about how you advance those historical uh moments and and also there's a uh, meta plot is something that i tend to think of as really more part of a of a of a game line like something that uh the the publishers are using to get you to buy the next book um Mm -hmm. you know rather than uh you know you as the gm advancing the timeline uh because history is happening Um, exactly but yeah it's with it, with I remember, I remember I first kind of encountered it with a Warhammer with the Enemy Within campaign because uh, in those books, it it had basically this, you know, the Civil War slowly breaks out over the course of the campaign, and it, like at first everything's fine, and it's the the news and rumors in each each adventure in the series add more and more developments going on that have nothing to do with the players, but it's it's just laying these seeds because eventually. Hey, the whole thing's gonna break out, and and it, and it, it did it really organically, and it, it it was a good case of doing something like that as opposed to it feeling like just just arbitrary meta plot. Well, what I do now is I have um I have tables I use for historical developments, and so oh that's like, I might run on and 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 you can kind of do them once a month or once a year depending on on your mood really, but uh but the idea being is generally you're gonna have. I tried to, I mean, it was my attempt to model what I thought of as real history unfolding and how, you know, probably yeah. not very accurate, but, but the idea being, okay, you know, there's a pretty substantial chance that you might have some kind of development occurring in, in you know, this given time frame. So it'll, it'll probably be like a fairly small thing, but there's always like a minor chance of having something much bigger occur. And then, and so, you know, over time, you know, as I use the tables, it, t- it tends to work out pretty well. Um. So, uh, yeah, so. that's 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 good because I I like randomness on that on that scale because you know deciding because to some extent deciding oh I'm gonna decide what all the big NPC movers and shakers are doing this week it's like it you know it's it's a nice idea but it's rarely practical to like just you know, have a scheme going for every ruler in the world and what they're up to. It's like, yeah. you know, it's nice to have a table and go, okay, how can I apply this, this result to these yeah. characters? And then you get, you get something that feels more real than if yeah. you just, just done it all yourself. And, and you still can, you, you know, if the, if, if you, if you're thinking about those characters, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, saying, oh, oh, no, yeah, this guy's no. going to do this. Um, but yeah, no. I think, I think it's easy. You, you, there's only I find there's only so many things I can think about in a given session. So one of the things I find exactly. with, with tables in general is they help me they help alleviate some of the necessity of me being conscious of all these different things going on in the campaign world. I can just have the table handle handle some of that stuff. So Yeah, and um, tables like that are a tool. It's not like you're beholden to them. If you get a result and you're like, eh, you know yeah. <laughs> it's it's that it doesn't make sense. But uh yeah, it's it's just it just gets your brain going and you can decide what happens then. At least for me. No, that, that's but, how that's how I use them. Um mm-hmm. and uh and yeah, so I guess I guess the other thing that you know I, I was thinking about this week was um, this idea of GM expectations, and I see, I mean, I, and I, I encounter this a lot. I encounter people online who, and I've encountered people like this in real life, and uh, where they 
they are in a perpetual state of preparing for the ultimate campaign that never happens. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? So they, so they, so they've been preparing for this great, and, and, and I'm sure if they pulled the trigger, it would be great, but I'm in danger the, of that myself yeah. at the moment. Okay. But, uh... No, we've all, we've all kind of been there, but, but I mean, I know people, I, I've encountered people that are chronically there. Um, oh yeah there, there are I campaigns know. that i, I have that i've sort of been forever fiddling with and will never they're never going to take place because I, they're really just sort of you know uh, like a, a hobby at this point um yeah but uh yeah. but but i think a lot of it has to do with people setting the bar way too high for themselves when they're you know like like they think they have to like it has to be a masterpiece like i don't know maybe they've read too many gm advice sections that make mm-hmm. gming sound like this uber skill or maybe they've seen people talking about campaigns and think they can't you know they can't but it's it's not when if you if you videotape any given session i think even if you videotape like the session of like a you know uh you know, someone who's been doing this for a really long time. I mean, I've been doing it for a while, actually, now that I think about it. But, but you know, people that have been, you know, GMing for a while, most sessions look pretty mundane. They don't, they don't, they don't, you know, they, yeah. they don't, they don't leap out and slap you in the face with their brilliance. Um, it's people getting together and having fun and, and just enjoying themselves. And if you look at it in the same way that you would look at anybody getting together for any other kind of activity, it, bring some of that expectation down to a more realistic level i think Um, yeah yeah it's like you you never want to get too beholden to the impression you're going to make with something it's like i mean i don't know i'm kind of going to go over to acting here for a bit but it's like you know i i did a lot of comedy stuff in acting and and uh you know, you never want to get in the point where you're like, oh, when I say this line, it's going to kill. It's going to yeah. fucking kill because it you, you build up the sense where you're, you're playing to the audience and you're not in the scene anymore. And it's like I feel like, you know, that then if then if you don't get like the audience might appreciate it. Sometimes things people can find something funny in a quiet way or, you know, they, they you know, oh, I, that's that's amusing. But, uh, you know, it, but. But you, you kind of you, you it pulls you out of the scene if you don't get the reaction you want. It's like it's just you just kind of want to go with what you're gonna do. Yeah. And I feel like it's that with the same. It's a similar thing going to gaming where it's like, you know, you you can't you can't decide what the players are gonna think of this thing beforehand. You make your thing, you show up, and what happens happens. If you're like this scene is really good, everyone's gonna be scared during this yeah. scene. They're gonna be shaking in their chairs, and it's like. No, just everyone's going to be hanging out and having a fun time. That's what's going to happen. That's yeah. maybe maybe every now and then you'll actually get that really amazing result. But no, just just as long as everyone had a good time and wants to come back next week, it's a good session. No, and I think too you got to you know it, it's like you said like what you picture in your head is not is not how it's always when you're in the moment running something. Um, mm-hmm. It does, you know, how it lands is very dependent on what people are actively thinking and doing at that time, and, <laughs> and and that really can vary a lot. And a lot of times, it has nothing to do with you as a GM. It's got everything to do, like like you, the GM's important. What the GM does matters, and you can totally sure. screw up a session. But um, but a lot of it is just what people are bringing to the table that day. And if people come super excited to play, you know, I've I've had games where like I know I was totally underprepared. I had 
I had like a head cold. I was barely conscious <laughs> of what was going on. But people mm-hmm. were so enthusiastic about the session that day that they thought it was great because it didn't matter what I was doing. All, all I needed to do was tell them that the ogre hit them when I rolled the dice or whatever. It was not um, – do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, well, games take on a life of their own to an extent too. Once you've got a decent campaign going, you can you could have a, a couple of sessions that from behind the screen are – they're kind of duds. Nothing really happened. You didn't. Nothing worked, but – because the group's just got this momentum going, the players probably don't even notice. They're they just they're, they're they're just carrying it for you that week, and yeah, because it's it's no. I mean, I, I agree with you. Expectation building, like I said, you, you know, like you say, you, you want to be prepared. You need to do your homework. You need to have something there. But, you know, because obviously you can have the sessions where you've got nothing prepared and everything falls apart and it genuinely does fail. But, but yeah, people scare themselves. I mean, it, I, I saw some article recently where uh, one of the guys who, well, who, uh, who, who does gaming, you know, does one of those gaming YouTube videos of actual plays. And he was really selling GMing as being the hardest thing in the world and how... You know, it's like, come on, man. It's like, it just irritated me because it's like all you're doing is trying to scare people away from having their own gaming yeah. groups. And, and, there, um, and there are those rock star GMs once in a while, but like most people sure. are not going to be that. And it's, 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 that's not what it's meant. It's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to be that. And you can grow into being a much better GM over time if you just relax and you don't worry about, you know, that's the key. Kind of, yeah. I think, I yeah. Think, I think, there's a, I think there's a lot of sort of, and I, I think this is maybe a geek trait in general where we we sometimes set the bar too high for this sort of thing and make it seem like you have to be, like, you know, it's not good enough to just like a show. You have to have a master's degree in the, in the, in the yeah. lore of the show. It's, it's not good, you know, but I think, I think with gaming, you know, it's, 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 it's really a very, it's 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 a fun not 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 really that complex of an activity and and uh and 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 there are like obviously there are tricks that you develop over time as a gm that you can sort of pull out of your toolbox but uh but i think i think the i think the less tense you are the more relaxed you are just the better in general the game is going to go that's that's i mean i think and i think Mm -hmm. that's true of almost anything i think I think people that are good at what they do usually it's a you know part partly they're relaxed because they're good at what they do but partly they're good at what they <laughs> yeah. do because they're relaxed and uh, yeah um, if I if I'm doing anything and I consciously tell myself to 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 ease up and relax a little bit I improve I get better in that moment at what I'm doing um, yeah and so I, I think that that's uh, you know useful useful thing to keep in mind when you're running a game whenever i'm running a game and i feel tense that's when i remind myself okay just you know uh relax a little bit it's okay. not it's not a um you know you're not you're not going into battle or anything you're not no the stakes are pretty low here yeah exactly and i mean that's that, that and part of game prep is psychological too it's like when i prep for a game part of it is me really making the stats i'm going to use and whatever and thinking about you know what scenes they're going to be and you know where where people can go but uh 
a lot of it is just the prep is going, okay, I feel ready. <laughs> yeah, no, I would I agree I feel ready you. to do this thing. I, I would and, agree. That's, that's, I mean, uh, and that, that's a really difficult, but the thing is that's something that you're not always going to have that for every session. No, you that's, aren't. That's no, a, aren't. that's just a GM has to get used to the idea of feeling underprepared sometimes and running a game anyways. And, mm-hmm. and just letting it just, just going with it, just, just running it. And, you know, it, it's not the end of the world if you if you hit a spot in the game where you have to where you aren't sure of what needs to happen next. You know. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, it's it's you know an example of the psychological element though. You know, when I ran third edition D and D, it's like prep was was hard work. It's like all the stat blocks are big. Mm-hmm. It's like it would take me a lot of work to prepare a session. And I went to Savage Worlds, and the prep in that game is so easy. It's like you know, from a realistic standpoint, I had the same amount of material ready, like the same amount of NPCs, same mm-hmm. same whatever, but I could scribble it all out in about 15 minutes, and I'm like, boom, 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 I'm done. But I feel, did I do enough work? Did I did, yeah. I, did I properly prepare? How can I have prepared a session in 15 minutes? That can't be right. And it, it, would, it would kind of psych me out almost just because the work was easy. No, and that's what, I, I mean, 3E is definitely like that. that that's also where, like, pre-generated stat blocks come in really handy in a game like that mm. and, and using them yeah i think i think where 3e proved a little difficult was a lot of times that even the stuff that came that was like even like some of the monster entry stuff you still had to do work even when you got to like even when yes. you opened it up and looked at the monster there was still work to do to make the monster sometimes and that was uh that was yeah the stat the, block was was a whole column of text and you'd have yeah. to like okay it's got these powers and these powers and these powers and it's got this many attacks and well, well not just that but yeah the, you'd have to digest all that so some of the template stuff could uh could add you know add another level of prep work to using a monster so it would make it a little harder to just open the book up and deploy it at the table um i just found with 3d right. I, I i was always of the it was i i found it was not an easy addition to um to to sort of play by ear do you know what i mean you you you, you kind I of couldn't wanted at to all do everything. with that yeah what was that <laughs> I could not play by ear at all with that session. No, yeah, under yeah. that system. Yeah, no, it was, I know. I always felt like I had to prepare stuff in advance in that game. And mm-hmm. a game like Savage Worlds, I don't feel, and I haven't run it as much as you have. I've played it uh, enough, but I, I haven't, I haven't GM'd it enough. But, but at least my 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 initial sense of it is that um, is I I could pretty easily generate stat blocks on the fly in that game. And, and yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. need to do it in advance as much as with, with, with 3E, I would not want to just sort of come up with a magic user on the spot. Like, you know, a 16th level magic user, you know, just bam. Uh, you know, I, 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 yeah. I, want, I want to put a little thought into that. Um, uh, yeah, and I mean, because it had the whole challenge rating system and amount of treasure and all of that thing, it's like, basically, if you were making stuff up on the spot, all that became meaningless and then if all that became meaningless, then it was like, well, why am I even using all the mechanical bits of third edition in the first place? So you felt beholden yep. to the system in that. Though, it was though so I will say, unified. I knew a lot of people that just ignored a lot of the mechanics of 3E because it was so cumbersome. Oh, sure. Um, you know, I knew, I knew people who played it, like, you know, I was in a group that uh, I played second edition with, and third edition was pretty much run just like second edition. 
Um, yeah. You know, it was, you know, a lot, a lot of those mechanics got ignored in that group. But I also played with groups where you had to use every rule. And if you didn't, you, you were, you were, you were, uh, that was addressed uh, by, by, yeah. by the players. And so um, it, it, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a very different experience to run free E than it was to run two weeks. I remember running two E campaigns and then when three E came around, it, 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 there, there was a, there was a, a big difference in terms of how the game uh, felt behind the GM screen. Um, yeah. Yeah. See, for me, once I decided, well, hey, I'm going to ignore parts of the system, I, I went back to running D&D BX because it's like, well, if I'm going to ignore things, I'm just going to let's have this little tiny staple bound book that uh, <laughs> has barely, yeah. barely any rules in it. And then great, great. Now, because I, I find it's harder for me to ignore rules than to add rules to a system, like from a house ruling perspective. Okay. It's like if you're if you're. If you're house ruling, you're like, well, ignore this part and ignore this part and ignore this part of the book. It's that's hard to do. Whereas if you're house ruling and you've got a real simple rule set like BX, and you're like, okay, use these rules and here's a printout of a few other rules to use on top of it. And there you go. And it's it's just it's it's easier to add than take away. Well, I, for me, well, I I find too as I get older, um, rules with subsystems that come into play infrequently. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's important to to memorize the subsystem so it plays smoothly, um, I don't think it always is. But if it is, like say for example the um, uh, the grappling rules in three, um, yeah, <laughs> it just it just does not stick. I, it does. It, I even if it's Never. even if it's easy to understand, it's like it just because it's a different way of doing it. It doesn't happen all the time. I have to look it up every single time now. Uh, you know, when I was younger, yeah. that wasn't the case, but now it's definitely the case. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like, you know, with, with that, it's like they already had a subdual damage system in D&D where, boom, you can kind of make someone you can kind of knock someone out and make them helpless. And it's like, why not just use that? That, you know, I mean, it, you know, mechanically use that for well, grappling. It's like, think, OK, boom, you've gotten the person down. You always get the player who says, I want to grab him by the wrist. And that yeah. Really, that that'll throw any GM off their off their footing if there's not a um, a clear way to handle it. Maybe uh, yeah. Usually, you develop a way to handle it, or you just say, "Well, you know, you can't do that," or you do, but it does, you know what's the maybe maybe the benefit of doing it isn't isn't what the player has in mind. But but it, it, I always found that kind of threw a wrench in things, and so I, I understand why grappling exists. I mean, I put restrain rules in my own games, but again, I have to admit. I have to look those up every time they come up, even in my own oh, game. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm talking D&D, too, because there are different types of systems. Just D&D is very abstract. And in, in, you know, in earlier editions, a round was one minute. You know, eight mm. hit points are a very amorphous thing. It's like, yeah. you know, and like your game, like Wandering Heroes of Ogrecate. Yeah, I want to be able to grab someone by the wrist. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's, but, it's, it's a different kind of game. I have a different expectation of combat when I play that than when I play D&D. But, but even there, if it's a, you know, as a subsystem that doesn't come up all the time, I find I'm always looking it up. And so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I think that that's, and, and I'm, and I'm, you know, it's mine. You know what I mean? So like, I, so like yeah, you know, somebody else makes up. a game and publishes it and I, you know, I'm just the same thing. So, uh, mm-hmm. I just, I just feel like, uh, you know, the, I don't know that that's one of the, one of the, one of the challenges of, uh, of, of subsystems, um, but I know we were talking earlier this week about unified mechanics. 
and uh, and Tui and stuff like that. And one of the things that I do yeah. like about uh, games that that don't have like a central system to them, or have like maybe maybe there's like a primary system for how you do combat, but you know how you climb a wall is different, and how you do this is different. Is that the game actually feels different with every different mechanic that you're using, and that's kind of a, yes. Um, that's something that I think gets lost when things get too centralized. Um, you know, this, I, I feel like mechanics have a feel to them. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to be playing dice poker. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to. I don't want to get lost <laughs> in whatever the subsystem is. But I don't mind using a different die or having having suddenly low rolls be more important than high rolls. Stuff like that can can kind of mix things up in an interesting way for my brain. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's uh, you know right now I'm working on a D and D campaign. As I said earlier, talking about you know game masters who get lost in creating a system and creating a game and working on it and working on it and working on it. I've been, been working on it for, for probably about six months now. And, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, house ruling, building the setting and everything and I'm having a great time with it. So, you know, that's, that's also part of the trap. I'm really enjoying working on this so much. Why do I need to play it? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's just, it's just getting onto the unified, you know, little disunified system thing. I, you know, for the attribute check thing, I'm, I'm using kind of the system where you use multiple D6s based on the difficulty and you roll under your attribute for tests. Mm -hmm. But of course, you've also got the combat system, which uses the flat D20. And at first I thought, boy, you know, it's two different systems. That seems kind of confusing. But then I thought about it and it became... It became, okay, in combat, you've got a flat D20, which gives you a really swingy range of outcomes. And combat is something where things are crazy and chaotic, mm -hmm. whereas these D6s I'm using for out-of-combat non-weapon proficiencies and things like that, things that are you're doing something in a more stable environment, so the multiple D6s you know, round your, you know, your outcomes tend to, you know, skew towards the middle because of the bell curve. Mm. And I thought, wow. So I've got, I thought I can tweak this and use a D20 or something related for stressful occasions where you get really swingy accounts. Mm. And if you're doing something where, you know, you've got control of the situation, then you use multiple dice and it becomes much more stable. So oh, that's pretty cool, it actually right? became... Yeah. Yeah, it just became wow. These these two systems do entirely different things, and that's the way it should be. Well, I know uh, like one one system I liked in uh, in Tui was the uh, the initiative system because it's it's uh, I think it was a D10 right in Tui and yeah, I'm a little fuzzy right now, but I, th but, I think I think but but and, and, and lower was better. Lower was better, and so I think that 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 you know a lot of systems mm. now are higher is better. Um, yeah, that's and, a good point. And 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 it's 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 counterintuitive on the rolling <laughs> end of things, but I find as a GM, even even after years and years of doing in, you know various initiative systems where you know uh, people are rolling and then I, I I go from highest to lowest, that reverse order is still very. It's just so. It's just not what my brain wants to do. But if I go yeah. from one through ten or whatever, it's so much easier to to go okay player with one goes first player with three goes next player with seven goes next it, it just kind of works better i don't know um yeah so, yeah 
And on the smaller number of outcomes, too, like, you know, BX uses a D6 for initiative. So that's even 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 easier range of numbers to work with. Yeah, that's um, yeah. If, yeah. And I guess the smaller uh, the smaller uh, the um, the role, the uh, the the or the smaller the die, the the more manageable the numbers, obviously. Um, mm hmm. But uh, but yeah. So I I don't know. I I uh, and I could be I could be mixing up my systems because it's been a little while since I've looked at the two E system. But um, yeah, and I I skipped two E. That was the D and D edition. I I bypassed because I was off playing other games. So I uh, I've I've read like I, I was looking at a retro clone of it last night. Actually, uh, what is it? Uh, uh for Golden Glory. But that's about as much two E as I ever looked at was last night. So now, well, what's, your, <laughs> what's your take on the uh, on the retro clone? Uh, it looks good. I I I guess I was just you know I just started looking at it, but uh. I, obviously, I'm judging it for its own sake. I can't compare it against the actual two e books. I, uh, you know, I, I they had that recent bundle on a drive through for the two e books, but everyone was saying those were the revised two e books, and I hear bad things about the revised two e books. So I, uh, you know, I would have liked to have bought that bundle, but I'm like, well, I don't want to buy the bundle that of the version yeah. that people tend to disparage. I, I you want to get the um, if you if you if you really want Tui, my opinion is, you should get the uh, the the I think it's the, the is it a Jeff Eastley picture with the guy on the horseback and he's got like yeah, a winged, I, uh, helm. That's that's the Tui player's handbook. That's the one that I would get it. You don't want yeah, to get the black. I'm, I'm an easily fan, ones. so I know that cover yeah. well. <laughs> and, and, and the skills and powers era of 2E is not a period that I really enjoyed. I liked the the era before skills and power really became uh, mm -hmm. prevalent. Um, the, it, it just, it, a lot, I think a lot of the stuff that made its way into 3E was kind of taken from the skills and powers side of things, if I recall. I could be wrong, because I never really delved too deeply into skills and yeah. powers. But... Um, but it was it, to me that stuff always seemed like a reaction to games like Vampire that were more skill based and trying mm -hmm. to get D and D more in uh, uh, more in line with it. But, um, but. yeah, I, I would like to start with the with the well. Basically, I I you know I just scour all the editions of D and D and just look for little bits I like. So you know I I just decided I'm going to look at this retro clone of Two E and see what in here is worth stealing if anything okay but. that's i mean that's that's a way to go um mm -hmm. the um but uh but yeah i'm trying to yeah d, yeah i think i think i'm pretty sure initiative was d10 uh d10 and um and but there, you know what there was there was the weapon speed which uh was a whole other a whole other thing. weapon speed yeah yeah i never used weapon speed rules uh, there were you know various versions of those in first edition d ad and d as well but uh yeah i i i gotta admit i never did much with those i mean it's, uh, a, it's a cool idea i mean it, it makes sense that sure certain weapons would be faster than others um but it's it's very tricky uh there's also i mean you know there, there's a lot of weird things like um well, it's that's that's a whole subject for another discussion, but um, we, okay, we, we, probably, can, we can get into initiative and reach and things like that uh, next uh, next podcast, I think. But, sure, um, sure, I'd be up for that. But uh, 
but yeah, so we've been going on for 50 minutes, so I'm gonna I'm gonna end it there. Um, we uh, what is it? This week, you and I are gonna talk about um, Torchwood sometime during the week. We got two That's more episodes, right. and then That's uh, right. when Nick can join us, we're gonna talk about the Centauran experiment, which I saw uh, mm-hmm. last night for the first time. Um, oh really? Oh, I yeah. thought you'd watched that once before. I was okay, it is your first time. Yeah, okay, no, I don't think I had seen the Centauran experiment before. No, in cool. fact, I know I hadn't. I hadn't. Um, the uh, the one I saw, I think the one uh, when we saw the Ark in space, I had seen portions of it before uh, mm-hmm. when it was up on. Um, for a while, they put some of the old Doctor Who's on Netflix, and I think that might have been one of the ones that was up there. Okay. Um, okay. Either that, or I had just seen so many clips of that episode on like various Doctor Who shit, like you know, like yeah, the four best iconic. doctors or whatever that uh, that it just I felt like I had seen. <laughs> um, but the Centauran experiment was new to me. Uh, it was is I have some opinions on that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I I I, have, I definitely have opinions on it. There's I overall I like it. There's 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 it's interesting. Um, and uh and so we're gonna do that and then um on friday uh uh me kenny and lady chow fung will talk about death duel which is kind of uh the second part of our disc we originally did a review of um swordmaster and this is the film that swordmaster is based on so uh so they're kind of it's kind of a two-part uh discussion and i'm really looking forward to that it's like a classic cho yuan movie so we will be on again soon and we will talk to you later. <laughs>